Jahid, can you tell me about what Google Stadia and what Google's done? Well, they have cancelled Stadia after announcing it at GDC 2019. I can't believe it's been four years. I can't believe it actually. Honestly, it's a surprise that it lasted four years. <laughs> you know what? Well, it's, uh, yes, not not <laughs> quite three three and a half roughly because yeah. Yeah, half. they shut it down on uh, in January the. Uh, yeah, January 2023, they're going to shut it down completely. They're going as far as refunding everyone for the controller as well, which is quite something. I can't believe that. That well, was wild to me. It's pretty major, right? I mean, just imagine a large console player shutting down. Yeah. And that's that, forever. And then everything you had is gone. Imagine the the ill will that would generate... I know, we're used to technology going out of fashion, but this is not just tech. And also, just like, why would Google care if this is the end of this thing? How, Like, I did see some people say, which is smart, like, my initial thought was like, wow, that's actually pretty good of them. Like, I expect I will get a refund because I bought my Stadia controller directly from Google, like from the Google store. That's the only people that get the refund is if you bought it through the Google store, which makes sense. Like, they, how could they keep track of refunding you through Best Buy or whatever? Like, it's... But they're also refunding software, which is wild. Like if you bought software, you're going to get a refund. Uh, it's just all interesting to me because I've never seen this before. But then I heard somebody mention, maybe that shows just how few they sold. There is that. Uh, they obviously didn't sell very many. They obviously have very deep pockets. They obviously don't want to generate too much um, ill will. And uh, I think this is them realizing a mistake google is like that mm -hmm. we know this we're not going to labor the point right mm -hmm. google does this but i don't think it's done anything at this scale because we're talking about hardware we're talking about um hardware in the home hardware in the cloud we're talking about an entire platform we're talking about the software we're talking about the infrastructure we're talking about third-party relationships first-party studio all of it shuttered that's massive. I mean, uh, as far as games is concerned, the games world, it's it's quite a step to just shut all of that down. But yeah. they've they've done it before with services that they perhaps didn't invest so heavily in. This is quite a big investment. Yeah, I was seeing like saying about the shutting down. I was seeing a bunch of developers like they that were working on Stadia games found out because of the news <laughs> yeah. coming out. Mm. Like, and it wasn't even leaked news. Like, they found out from Google's official, we're canceling this post. Like, Google didn't bother to tell them ahead of time, which is wild. That just goes to show their complete lack of experience in this area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they never really got games. They employed people they thought got games, and they didn't use them effectively. And they didn't understand where the reporting lines should be. Anyway, that's all, like, very high-level um, operational stuff. But it can destroy things, you know? Like, uh, I, I have banged on about this a lot, so I won't labor this point too much, but the difference it made to me and my personal and business effectiveness, just being moved teams was night and day. It was absolutely unempowered, disempowered, disenfranchised, useless, and uh, frankly, um, not a very good employee yeah. to to the exact opposite. And all that took was to move me to a different reporting line and different team. So 
that can break an organization. And I think that's partly what happened here, because if Harrison had been reporting um, to somebody else, things might have worked out differently. But that's not why they failed. Should we talk about why I think they failed? Yes. Right. In no particular order. But let's start with the biggest one, cloud. So as everyone knows, let's talk about, let's let's cover the thing they got right. Yeah. Because let's face it, the tech sounded amazing. It sounded almost impossible. People thought, oh, it's Netflix for games, right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is that they lost their lead in the latency stakes very quickly because there was competition. There'd always been competition, but nobody thought that Google would do anything but succeed in in the whole cloud uh, infrastructure and latency stakes. No one thought that for a minute, especially when they started talking about how their controller was doing things like talking directly to your router. They were taking the whole issue of latency very seriously. But then eventually, I say eventually, remember it's only been three years so far and it's going to be three and a half when they're done. NVIDIA battered them in just about every area with GeForce Now. And the other thing, of course, let's not labor this point too much either. There are a lot of points we won't labor because it'd be too brutal. But they were offering games that customers already owned. Yeah. And the other thing about the cloud, of course, is that Google is actually not the top player in the cloud. I mean, people think, yeah, um, Google search, biggest engine in the in the world, uh, AdSense, AdWords, and all of that stuff that makes them their fortune. But actually, Amazon with AWS and Microsoft with Azure are ahead in terms of cloud infrastructure and development. That's a big deal. And the thing is, they're connecting hardware to the cloud, which we'll come to next, that isn't on a par with any of the competition either. And of course, what they thought they were delivering was Netflix for games. And the three of us know that over the last year or so, we've been talking about Xbox Game Pass being that, because that over cloud really is Netflix for games, or the best alternative we have to it so far. Yeah, Stadia was Netflix for games if you also had to rent every movie on Netflix individually. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that, and that's so so let's before we talk about hardware, let's talk about that. Yeah, subscriptions and people don't mind paying for subscriptions. How many subscriptions do we all have? I mean, tons, right? Mm-hmm. But having to pay for the games on top and the controller, and then what you have is just this build up of resistance in the mind of the customer. Yep. And what starts off as what we're all thinking is, oh wow, this is Netflix for games, and now you're thinking, well, this is like Ouya on the cloud, you know. It's really starting to fray at the edges because there are so many touch points for the customer and, and so many friction points for the customer as well. I mean, I, I want to play something on Stadia and I wanted to love it. You know, being a technologist, I want to give absolutely everything a chance, particularly when a company as serious as Google enters the fold. And so initially I thought, yeah, this is okay. But then you think about it from the point of view of the customer. They're not technologists. They just want to play video games. But first, you have to buy a controller. That's not easy, right? You can't just... It wasn't easy to begin with, and they weren't always sent out on time. And it wasn't clear what you were buying or what you were getting. Then there was a subscription, and then you had to buy the games, and then you had to... Sometimes some people had to get a Chromecast. You know, there's all this hassle. And you what you haven't got is this one single app, like Netflix has, right, mm-hmm. that you can install on anything. 
And that Netflix Netflix app or the equivalent does everything for you. We didn't have that. So the subscriptions were a big issue. They introduced too many friction points on top of the subscription that was needed to use the service at all. And then in terms of the hardware, we talked about the whole promise of the cloud. But the fact that it required a special controller meant that the rollout for Stadia fell on the hardware division to complete. And anytime Google does hardware, it has a limited list of countries. And it's around 20 countries. And if you have a look at the, the list of countries for all their other pieces of hardware, and there are tons, I couldn't believe how many pieces of hardware Google actually do, but they, they only ship them to around 20 countries. And that is how many countries got Stadia. And then the next thing on, on this, of course, is we've got our PlayStation 5s, we've got our Xbox Series Xs, we all have, right? The th mm -hmm. All three of us, mm -hmm. and our Switches. And do we all have gaming PCs now? Yeah. I mean, apart from the Steam yeah, Deck, do. right? Federico I mean, has we... <laughs> multiple, but uh, yeah. <laughs> the rest of us just have one. Yeah, so, and that's the thing. All of these games on Stadia have got to run on some hardware somewhere. And with Google talking about how great their cloud infrastructure is, forgot to understand or forgot to convey, or I don't know if they were being disingenuous or whether they were being foolish, but either is unforgivable, right? Because the hardware on which the Stadia system runs is a bit pants. I mean, it's not great. It's Linux. You got you got to write to a Vulkan API. Vulkan's perfectly cool, but most people aren't writing to Linux and most people aren't writing to a Vulkan API. Now, how could that have been forgivable? I'll tell you how. When you have a proposition like the Steam Deck, which is completely integrated, and you reach out to everyone way before the thing comes out, you already have this massive captive market, right? You've got God knows how many zillions of customers on Steam who've got gajillions of games, and they, they're going to want to play these games. And so what do Valve do? Reach out to the, to the partners and make sure that there's a really good start, mm -hmm. which is exactly what Stadia didn't do. So here they are with mediocre hardware in the cloud, and they never quite understood that if a game was successful, and we'll touch on this later, that it was going to ruin them. And they had all these promises about, oh, we can have multiple uh, cloud instances of these machines delivering to a single player. No, you can't. I mean, if a game gets successful, what's going to happen? You're going to, seriously, if you've got a million people playing at the same time, you're going to have two million fully provisioned hot gaming PCs running that? You're not. The graphics hardware wasn't as good as Xbox. I mean, and that's the other thing. You're up against the whole Azure setup, right? And on the back end of the Azure setup for Xbox, you start off with the Series S, and now they've already upgraded to to the to the X. And as for GeForce now, they've got <laughs> NVIDIA graphics cards in there. Meanwhile, Google hasn't updated their, their kind of mediocre Linux PCs in a while, and they were never going to, let's face it. So you had all these developers trying to make games or port games to a platform that was very controlled, very strict, and not that great. So hardware-wise, they fell behind PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X pretty much as soon as those machines were announced. Whoa, so it sounds very negative. Don't worry, there will be some positive to this at some point. 
Uh, but not for quite a while, I'm afraid. <laughs> at, some, <laughs> at some point. At some point. I will come to the positive because we'll try and turn this around. We'll try very hard. But really, I'm uh, I'm not angry. It might sound like I'm. I'm not. I'm just disappointed. This is what they call a, a post-mortem, right? Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is what we're doing. Okay. I, I'm not even, yeah, I'm not even disappointed because you expect this of Google, right? I mean, I was... I was prepared to give it a go, like any technology, I was prepared to give it a go, but you soon start to add up all of the issues, all of the comms, mm. all of the internal wranglings, all of the changes of position, all of the broken promises, and you think, hmm, this is not looking good. And this is in 2020. So strategy, right? That was the, that was the thing. If you get all those things wrong, that's basically your strategy gone. The first thing I would say is they were too early. Uh, and that sounds crazy in light of the fact that you have PlayStation now. But they were. They were too early because the infrastructure for end users is still not that great. I mean, you still got to get it down a pipe, right? And you still got to get input from the player up a pipe. And you still got to hope that there's not too much contention. And then they were promising 4K 60 FPS, which they didn't really deliver. And they were then going on a double down and said, oh, you know what? We're, we're aiming for 8K, 120 FPS. Well, yeah, maybe. So the main thing really was they didn't understand their customer base. And when mm. I say their customer mm. base, they didn't have a customer base, right? They didn't understand their target market. That was the thing. They never understood their customer base because they pivoted so many times. The main thing was they were too early because they didn't get that the internet for all of their potential target market was still not developed enough. Obviously, people like us three have got gigabit up and down or oh, whatever. Oh, you mean like internet speeds and Exactly, right. Exactly, right. and pings of two milliseconds. No problem for us to play Stadia, Stadia games, but even I was getting issues, you know. Not always, but sometimes I would get issues even with a decent internet connection. So they were too early because of that. That was the main thing. But the other thing is they're also promising too early and they didn't need to do that. The main issue really was they were trying to solve a problem that really didn't need solving. Especially in the way that they did it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the games that they were offering, here's the thing, the main thing for me, okay, is what it boils down to. What's your offering? Mm. Your offering are games that people can already play on other platforms better. Are those people who are playing those games already on other platforms having a better experience? Yes. So if you offered them a service that cost them a subscription and they had to buy a controller and they had to buy those games again, why would they do it, especially when these games are going to be running on hardware that's inferior to the experience they're having? Yeah. Because the whole point of that cloud is to be able to run these games on much, much more powerful hardware. That's what Stadia promised. They never delivered even when they talked about 4K, 60 FPS, when they finally had games like Doom and Assassin's Creed, they were upscaled from 1080p. Yeah, because they mean, used to on. talk about, like, oh, look at all this additional detail you can see and, and all that. Like, I remember those presentations about Destiny, and it seemed like that never really came to be, right? Well, yeah. I mean, ne never mind the, the fact that you got the cloud in the way, right? Mm -hmm. Never mind you got this massive buffer in between you and the game. The machines the games were running on were never going to run those games as well as they could be run on PS5, Xbox Series X, or a decent gaming PC. 
And then because of that, because the hardware wasn't that great, the library was just never big enough. Yeah. You never had enough people coming over to it. You know, and it was specialized in the worst way. Here's where specialized works the right way. It's a console we all have, and it seems underpowered, but it's absolutely magic. A Nintendo Switch. Yeah. That's how you make limited hardware work. Can you imagine taking the Switch hardware and sticking it at the end of the cloud and Nintendo going, here you go, here's Mario, but with really bad latency. That's not going to work for anyone. It's not going to work for the customers. It's not going to work for Mario, and it certainly isn't going to work for Google. No, Nintendo have been doing more of that, like, cloud stuff right like intensive games in the cloud and i think people think it's fine but it's not the point for the switch it's like oh if you only have the switch and you want to play resident evil i guess we'll make this possible for you but it's i think still a better um proposition overall than stadia was yeah absolutely because they had a solid basis and they understood uh -huh. their customers and then what they did is because they understood their customers they knew how to get a subset of those customers, you know, upselling them to a slightly different experience. And that's the way you do, you do it. You don't start with a specialist experience when you don't understand the customer and then upsell them to the wider market. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And they never figured out how to grow their customer base because they never understood the customer. Mm -hmm. And the, of course, the, the biggest issue was, we'll come to first party in a bit because that's, that's just a tragedy. But they never had a good third-party strategy either. I mean, they acted like um, they, they acted like uh, I don't want to say this. I'm going to say it anyway. PlayStation in the PlayStation Three days, hubris. They acted like you know, yeah, we got a really special platform, and you've got to be really good to join us. And then there were a few special privileged partners who they gave tens of millions of dollars to to get games that everybody had already played, just so that they could buy into some credibility. And those games were never quite as good on Stadia as they were elsewhere. Now, many did say, I'm not one of them, but many did say that uh, Cyberpunk 2077 um, was pretty decent on Stadia. And I'm not going to argue with that. But here's the thing. The sort of person who wants to play that game wants to play the best possible version of that game. And they will have an absolutely magnificent PC Mm. or a console on which to run it. And then they didn't get any exclusives either. Well, not decent ones. They got a couple of games that didn't really turn out too well. And when you have a new platform, you need either really strong first-party support to drag in third parties. The first-party support is what sells the hardware because people want to play those games. They use, and by, uh, by dint of the fact that they're first-party, they're exclusive. So if you want to play that game, you're going to have to spend however many quid it was for the controller and then the subscription. And that's that's not bad, you know? You go, okay, these games are brand new. They look really cool. They're by excellent studios or they're, they're by brand new studios set up from older studios that knew how to make games and are now doing something very different. But they never did that. They never had a good third-party strategy because they didn't understand the customer and they didn't understand how to differentiate they had no imagination. Yeah. I, know, I know I'm beginning to sound a little bit angry, but that is a bit that really makes me angry. Everything else I can let slide. But to not have the imagination when you've just created the entire infrastructure, right? You've built everything. It's the most amazing technical achievement in a very long time in the, in the video games business. 
And then you have absolutely no imagination because can you imagine the games they could have made or commissioned that would use the fact that multiple copies of the game are running simultaneously on the same network, basically right, sat right next to each other. So the inter-node latency is practically zero. Imagine you've got a data center with 100,000 of these stadium machines all talking to each other on the same network. Can you imagine? They could have owned the metaverse before the metaverse became uncool. They could have done that, but they, but they never <laughs> even tried. You know, they never even tried. And that is what irks me. Mm. Really upset about that because it's, you know what it does? It ruins it for everyone else. So, when someone comes up with this and say, you know what? We got this great idea. We're going to do the metaverse the way the metaverse is meant to be done. You don't necessarily have to have a headset. All these people are co-located. There's no way to cheat. These are the kind of experiences you can have. It's never been done before. And what are the investors and the VCs going to say? They're going to say, Oh, yeah, but Stadia. That's what upsets me. And so, almost finally, almost finally, let's talk about first party. The hubris and the... Uh, I don't know what word to use for this. I'm not going to use a rude word, mm. but I am going to say just a lack of foresight to understand what is required to create a good first-party game for a new platform? I mean, maybe they got Phil Harrison in late. He knows how long it takes to make first-party games. I suspect he... The, the reason I suspect that there was a, a really broken reporting line and that Harrison was reporting into perhaps the wrong person is because Harrison knows first-party. And there's no way he would have made the decision to bring in all these people and then sack them not that long after. It was horrific. Horrific. There, were, there was talk that the game was, the, the first game they were working on was seriously over budget, like hundreds of millions of dollars over budget. Now, I'm sorry. These people know how to do their sums. They knew what they were getting into. I think there's a, there's a there's a different story behind this. And I think the story is that if they'd managed to build Jade Raymond's game and it was as good as everyone thought it was going to be, that when that game started to run, if Stadia took off, mm. there's no way they could cope. Yeah, It would become uneconomical. Think about all that data being streamed, let's say a million people playing at the same time. It would become, it would quickly fail. The business would fail. They spent all this money on the game. They got all these things running in these data centers, costing an absolute fortune to build and run. And they're all running at the same time. It, it just turns out to be an uneconomical model because it doesn't scale. Why doesn't it scale? Because every person playing a game can't share resources from one server the way you can with Google services. You need the whole machine. Otherwise, your experience starts to fall to pieces. Can you imagine trying to run a game in a VM on your MacBook Pro and then running another VM with the same game and another VM with the same game? It's not going to happen. In fact, the first VM that you run is going to mess things up just by having the overhead of the game running in the virtual machine. That's going to slow it down. You want every bit of performance you can get. And for them not to see any of this beforehand is a tragedy for them to have 
got these people in for one of the most imaginative takes on video games. I'm talking about the whole Stadia idea itself, not necessarily the idea they were developing, because I don't know too much about that. It's, it's just a waste and a tragedy. All that money, and they could have spent all that money. If, if they were never going to get first party right, or if they never imagined how much it would cost, they could have put that money towards getting games in well early and then not announcing until 2020 when they were ready. You want to sum up? I'll give you a sum up. They didn't get the cloud part right. They didn't yep. get the hardware right. They didn't get the controller right. They didn't get the service right. And they didn't get their relationships or their strategy right. So, full marks, <laughs> depending on how you're grading. It's, it's a tragedy. It's a wasted opportunity. But at least this is one of those things where people like us, people that know, work this out very quickly. Right, where it's just like this isn't going to work. You know, I, I got it to try it as a curiosity just to see what streaming games were like. It was like my first experience of like streaming games. I, I would say I am very. I feel like I think I am very sensitive to latency. Like I know a lot of people they have a great yeah. experience with um, uh, the Xbox games in the cloud stuff, whatever it's called now. I, don't, I genuinely can't remember what it's called now. Right, but when you play Xbox Game Pass in the cloud. I never liked that experience. I, I, I think I feel the latency very uh, particularly. And, and, and even on great internet, don't enjoy it too much. But I wanted to try it out. But it was just immediately obvious to me like that the killer was that I have to pay you every month and still pay for the games. Like Just the fundamentally, I think there were maybe these two parts of Google and one part of them understood video games and the other part didn't and they couldn't meet. right? Because they did bring in some really interesting people, as you mentioned, Shahid, and they were potentially working on some good games, like at least at some point. So somebody knew that these were the right people to partner with, but they couldn't get the rest of it together. So, again, I've heard people say great, like there are some people that really love the controller. I found the controller to be fine enough, but now it's like the reason they have to do the refunds is it doesn't work or anything else, which is kind of, I think, hilarious. Yeah. I mean, you get someone like Jade Raymond in and you waste her talent. Yep. And you get someone like Phil Harrison who knows what it takes to launch hardware. Uh, I don't know about wasted talent, but you certainly don't use him effectively or don't empower him effectively. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that gets me. A lot of this is structural, I think, because Google has some of the smartest people in the world working for them. I've got a lot of time for Google. I know it doesn't sound like I have, but I do. I know a lot of very smart people working at Google. But it's not smart people that make this kind of thing work. It's good strategy and good organization. I know that sounds really boring, but if you're not organized, you can't deploy the smarts. And if you don't have a strategy, nothing you do is ever going to work out. Because the timing will be wrong. Your customer will be wrong. You'll be wrong. Everything will be wrong. Could they have done it right? I mean, I want to end on a positive. Could they, could they have done anything better? Yeah, that's what, that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, just, a, just like a, a quick thought exercise. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I know like, this is going to sound... Uh, I don't know. I, I want to I see your reaction, Shade. Sure. Let's say you were in charge of Stadia. In, in October 2022, how would you lead this project so that it wouldn't fail? 
as given what we know today, where the market has gone, how the technology has improved, how the competition has improved, like you said, how could it go better than it did today? I know. I, I haven't got a very good record of stopping platforms from dying. Maybe slow, <laughs> slowing down slowing. their death. Yeah, slowing, slowing down their death, you know? Making the death less painful. Uh -huh. Going out on a high, maybe. But yeah. but yeah, okay. So October 2022 is late, is the first thing I would say. It would have to have happened before the, the cancellation of the first party work. But there are several things I would have done that it, it, you know, if, if I was brought in late, this is, not if I was brought in at the beginning, because if I was brought in at the beginning, I probably wouldn't do Stadia anything like the way it was done at all. But if I was brought in now, let's say the announcement that they're not shutting down hasn't happened, because let's face it, if they've announced that they're shutting down and I'm brought in, it's a they, bit late. They wouldn't have right? hired you, would they? <laughs> they wouldn't have hired me. <laughs> exactly. So they haven't Unless made they that want announcement. someone to truly kill it. You know what I mean? Like they they bring you in and they're like, "There's only one man for this job." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this this guy gets gets the um gets everything the kiss of death. So let's bring him no. in. So, oh man. Okay. So the first thing I would do is I would invite every single developer of every size to some mass gathering in the coolest place imaginable. And I would really look after them. I would really listen to them. I would ask them all the same question. If money was no object and you had complete control over the customer experience and you had access to all of these machines in the cloud, able to talk to each other that were all co-located, what would you make? And then I would have loads of people taking notes voraciously. And then we would hire as many people as possible on the most generous terms possible to, to bring these games to life. And then as and when things started to shape up, we'd start to release snippets about what was to come. And we would heavily incentivize people for early delivery of, of basically um, thought exercises and the best people to do thought exercises in this form are indies and i would just team them up with the very best network engineers at, at google and help them help both sides to understand each other's problems so the network engineers would help the the independent developers who are likely to be the first to be able to release something understand what it takes to make a game work that is networked that has latency, but has the power to talk to all these other machines at the same time at, at no cost and with minimum la minimal latency. And then these would be coming out, you know, very, very much um, kind of rough gems, but they would be early enough to start showing promise. The whole experience would be subscription. You would get the controller for free. Probably with a minimum term subscription, though, right? Like that's it's the only no. way that would be able to. There's, there's no. no, I know this no is minimum your term. ideal world, but like no, 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 no minimum term. But what happens is if if you decide you want to cancel, 
within three three months, you send the controller back. Okay. Or works. you're charged, right? Uh-huh. I think I can see this. I mean, it's not a surprise to me that your main answer is, because I think it's the right one, and it's the Shired playbook, is that the content is king, right? Like, if you have the games, and if you can convince the, the good enough developers to make the games, you will drive interest in the platform, right? It's, it sounds simple. It isn't simple. And it takes the right type of person to be able to convince developers to come to jump on board, right? But you've done it before. It worked for you. Yeah. Now. I mean, th- I, I'm not talking about anything um, radical here. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the thing that we did at PlayStation. Yep. We got them in, asked them what was broken, fixed or tried to paper over the cracks of what was broken, and then got the best of them. And the thing is, you'll start with ports. It's fine. But what you really want to incentivize are those things that make unique take un- unique um, advantage mm-hmm. of the infrastructure because that was their that was their USP that's the thing that they had that nobody else had that's that was the experience set that they had that nobody else had and perhaps Jade Raymond was building exactly that but then what it boiled down to and here's the problem is that if you have potentially a million people playing the same game they're all going to need their own machines you can't run the same game off one PC and hope to serve multiple players with it. But if you just have a constant stream of really, really good stuff and it doesn't require maximal load, in other words, you architect the games so that they can be distributed, then suddenly this approach is feasible. Yeah. And what yeah. you do is you have clusters that are compute, you have clusters that are um, neural net, you have clusters that are GPU. You have clusters that are... You, you see what I mean? You can mm-hmm. then genuinely distribute the load and then you can start to um, break it up into tiny threads all over the place and use at any point. But the point is you need to have the network engineers who understand this stuff way better than I will ever understand it and the developers in the same room to brainstorm and then for there to be a collaboration about how this entire service is built out. And when that happens, you get sparks. When the sparks happen, the great thing is you don't need to talk about your service anymore because your partners do it for you. I used to go to a hairdresser when I was a kid. And I went to that hairdresser for years afterwards, even after my dad passed away. And the thing I remember about that hairdresser that I'll never forget, because the hairdresser changed, right? The guy who cut my hair changed. The shop remained the same. But they always had this sign. And the sign was... If you like your haircut, tell others. If you don't, tell us. And that's what you want. You want Mm. your customers to tell everybody else. And your customers are not just the people playing your games. Your customers are the people you're charging 30% for, for the privilege of being on your platform. Make them proper partners. Look after them like proper partners. Envelop them in softness. Give them comfy duvets i mean of course i'm speaking metaphorically you've got to look after them because if you don't there are a million other platforms in 2022 they can go to that'll treat them better goodbye stadia <laughs> we, we hardly knew you am i right <laughs> i never tried it so uh, you, you weren't missing out yeah there, there really isn't like you know it was just it was what it was it was cloud gaming yeah Federico and I, like most of the internet, has been playing uh, Cyberpunk 2077, which yes. is a thing that I genuinely can't believe 
right? has happened, but I mean, it the game came happened. out two years ago. Two, yeah, two I was one ago. of those people that got my refund from PlayStation. So, like, I pre-ordered wow. it from PlayStation, and then all the reviews came out, and it was a dumpster fire. And I got my refund from PlayStation, and just kind of figured that that was the end of it. But in a no man's sky like effort. They have been putting in the work. They had a couple of updates that they committed to and they landed them. And they've recently put out a, a big update. I think it was called like the Night Runner update or something like that, where there were a bunch of fixes in for the game, some additional content. There's still some additional content coming. But the big thing for me was they worked to make it um, verified in Steam Deck. Yes. I was looking for a new game to play. And I thought, all right, I'll give it a go. Plus, I was aware of the fact that it was starting to hit like its daily concurrent numbers, right? Like that, it's yeah. you know, it was the most played game on the internet at a point, but also just like sustained people were interested in it. I have had a roller coaster with Cyberpunk over the last two weeks. Okay, so I booted it up, started playing it, um, and it, it's kind of been interesting for me. I will say, like, one of the things that initially surprised me and continues to surprise me, this game is a lot more adult than I thought it was going to be. Like, I've never played a video game where sexual content was so core to the narrative of the game. And that has been odd to me. Like, and I am not saying that it is bad. I think I I am... uh, and can be a bit of a prude uh, when it comes to like sexual content in media. This is not a judgment on anybody else, just on myself. It's probably the household I was brought up in or whatever. But so it was a it was just interesting to me, and it's continued to be interesting to me. Like, because like the GTA games have some form of sexual content in them, but it always seems just like a thing that is an offshoot, a thing you need to go find, right? Mm-hmm. But this game, it's like, no, you cannot get through the content creator without seeing a naked person, <laughs> like the, yeah, the character I mean, creator. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that I was can't. a surprise to me. <laughs> what I... can I tell you? People in the future are horny, man. It's just what's going to happen. Oh. Yeah. And like, look, what I'll say is there are some parts of this game where the narrative is fascinating, like, like really interesting because they lean into this. But what I'm saying is that I'm not criticizing the game. It was it's just something that like during my playing, I've been a bit like, huh, because this just I don't I guess I should have known like from seeing screenshots of the game. But I always kind of assumed that like a lot of the like sex toys that appear in the game, which I'd seen lots of images of, were kind of just like this is a thing where if you go to the specific part of the game, you'll see them rather than like no, like this stuff forms part of the main narrative. But anyway, mm-hmm. I want to come back to the main story again in a second. There is a thing that I found this game is strange. Like the way that side quests, side quests are clearly important to the game, but they will, I feel bombarded by the amount of side quests. Like I keep getting these phone calls from people I've never met and they're like, hey, I've got work for you. Like, why did, it just happens all the time in like a way who that I find you? to be peculiar. Yeah, it's like, how do you even know who I am as an individual? Like, I find that strange. And I've found that like some of the side quests are really like cringy. Like the writing isn't that great. Some of them are fantastic. 
right? That's that's my change. Is like at first I thought all the side missions were bad. That's not true. But like some of them are a bit cringy. Like there's this one, this is like a minor spoiler for a thing that I think you're supposed to find as endearing, but I found really cringy. There's like this part in the game where you have to go chase down these cars, these like AI controlled cars that have got they're like corrupted. And one of them had the has like the GLaDOS voice from Portal. Like and it's just talking to you in the GLaDOS voice and is making a bunch of like GLaDOS jokes about cake and like you pop failed the test. And it's like it feels so like, aha, I know what the gamers are gonna like. Like it's I, it would have been like the way I would have done this if I was just have the voice but not make the references to Portal. Like it doesn't make any sense. And it's just like weird. And like, so some of that stuff I find to be like real, like odd, where like I feel like some now I feel like, especially the, the main story is so good that it's weird to me that there are some of these side missions where it's like feels so cringy. It's a bit like a bit of like a, a clash. And sometimes, like, I go into if I want to do a side quest, I go into a side quest because hard to make money in this game through the main story. Like, yeah. if you, you have to do the side quests to make money. I also never really know how much money I'm going to make from a quest, which I find frustrating too. Like I, I would like to know that so I could choose, but maybe they don't want to tell me for that exact reason. But sometimes I go into these side quests and I'm like, am I going to get a good one or a bad one? Like, and I'm not sure, really sure where I'm going to be going then. Nevertheless, the main story, so good. The narrative yeah. is fascinating. The, the, you can, you can, there are multiple mission paths that you can take and they intersect in ways that are really cool. Which makes me feel like it must be so complicated to do some of this. To like, I feel like, you know, I know what I play the game the way I want to play it. And sometimes the game, I guess, has to try and work out these multiple paths in the same that I feel like I like the dialogue choices. Um, sometimes I feel like my dialogue choices actually make a material effect on where the story is going to go. I don't know if it is, but I feel that way. And honestly, that's the thing. I think sometimes it's not about what it's actually doing, but like what I what how I come away from the interaction. And it, it had that thing where like at first, I was like, I don't know if I'm enjoying this for a few reasons. The driving cars, like the car driving is horrific. Motorbikes. Yeah, it's not good motorbikes feel good car driving is terrible like yeah there's, the there's camera it's, and yeah. also the camera the camera with with the cars it's like you make turn a corner and then the camera will turn the corner it's like no these should be one to one it's, it's so bad are you using the first person camera in the car no not for driving oh okay no me neither third person camera with a motorbike yeah. is i think the only way to traverse the if you're gonna if you're gonna use the roads um mm -hmm. Too many menus, too many inventories. Way mm. too many menus. Like, I just never really know what to do with the thousand menus. Like, if I want to find a quest, like, there's like three different places I can go to get that information, like, which I just find to be annoying. Um, and like, there's like a thousand upgrade paths and stuff, which yes. I know a lot of people like that. But to me, do. that's it's very it's overwhelming, too much. though. Yes, yeah, it's a it, lot. It and like, it's the same as this game in general, like like how many side quests there are and stuff, right? Like if you are a younger gamer or you're a game with more time on your hands, like yeah. this is one of those games where you're like, hell yeah, I've got like yeah. 400 hours here, but I'm not one of those people. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of video game in this game, yeah. if yeah. you know what there's, I mean. Like, yes, there's yeah. a lot of like 
game. Yeah, I know. There's yeah. like so many game in it, which yeah, is why I like there's a huge map and crafting yes. and upgrades, upgrade paths and side quests. Like, yeah, I, it, it's a lot. I will it's say their visual design is really interesting, but I think it shows how much better Rockstar is. Where like in a GTA game, I feel like I can learn where I am. In mm. Cyberpunk, like there's this huge city, and I cannot tell that I'm anywhere different at any point. Okay, okay, because that was also one of the things that I wanted to raise with you. Like, I've been, like, this game looks incredible, and mm-hmm. I really love the look of Night City, mm-hmm. how, like, the neon colors and the reflections. And I mean, I've been playing on a 3080 Ti on my gaming PC, um, downscaled nice. to 1440p, because I'm yep. playing on a 4K TV, but I'm sitting far enough from the TV where turning down the resolution to 1440 doesn't really matter and in return I can play with ray tracing ultra at a stable actually locked 60 frames per second it looks incredible nice. mm-hmm. that looks absolutely Living I mean I could go dream. higher yeah it's, I could go higher if I if I went the like ray tracing medium for example I could do 80 to 90 frames per second but at that point like I prefer to have the maximum quality and 60 yeah. frames good enough but at some point I need to play this on my PC I've only played it oh, on my yeah, Steam Deck you really do you really do you really yeah, wow. yeah. But Steam Deck I got it locked at 30 like a medium yeah. like that's yeah. the setting and I and think it, can, it looks it great it can do that so it yeah. looks great. Um, so, so Night City looks fantastic, but the thing I've been struggling with is learning the geography of Night yeah. City. Like everything looks kind of similar. Like every yes. neighborhood looks kind of yep. similar to the other. Like uh, you have, at least at this point, like I'm 10, 12 hours into the game. Like you have a few waypoints and uh, like a few landmarks. Like, okay, there's the huge bridge with the Japanese statues underneath and there's, you know, the beachfront and there's the docks. But then all the other neighborhoods, they look kind of similar-ish. Exactly the same. Yeah, uh, this is like... They have created a very good-looking futuristic city, but I don't think, and I don't. If it was a choice, I think it was a bad one that they didn't do enough to, I think, differentiate the neighborhoods. I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's enough going on, except for like there's that like. I think it's like maybe Japantown or Koreatown. There is an area of the game that's kind of like the red light district kind of area. Okay, and that's very like. Um, like Blade Runnery, which I kind of like. It's got like a street market kind of thing. Like, but it's all on foot. You have to walk around. Yeah. The on foot yeah. areas that you go to frequently, I think, look quite different. But like when you're driving through, yes, it kind of just is. It all just looks the same. True. But you know, I'm not particularly looking for this game to like really explore the the city. But it was just something that was surprising to me. Also, like one of the things that took me a while, like aiming. Like it's a lot of gunplay mm. for me anyway. Cause, I mean, I'm trying to do as much stuff as I can, but I tend to not be very good at the stuff here. Oh, I get you're frustrated. A stealth guy. Interesting. I mean, I try. Like, I, try. I can tell when the game wants me to be stealthy. And there's some interactions I've had where, like, I've gone into an area and I've I've kind of gone in all guns blazing, and I'm getting murdered like four times in a row. And so I'm like, let me at least try. And like pick off a couple of these people, and it has made these interactions better. Because I would say for me, combat has been challenging. Um, like I found early on, 
I was underpowered and was finding myself in some situations where, like, I think the enemies were overpowered. Like, they were moving around really erratically, like, which made it very hard for me to aim at them. Um, this is something that has gotten better for me, though, as I have been getting better at the game. My character's been leveling up and I've been finding better weapons and stuff. I've been finding the content to be, like, the combat to be more balanced. But like initially at the start of the game for me, it was it was a little bit frustrating, but I have been getting better at it as I've been finding more interesting uh, guns and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my one of my favorite parts of the game. Like I agree with all all you said about the story. I think the story is so fascinating, and like it does, like it made me think about the potential future that um, that cyberpunk imagines. Like, what if? It, because it's basically like it's a game about this idea that is the kind of idea that I talk about in my work, and that I see reflected here in a different way. The game is all about customization. This is a future about customizing yourself. And so, of course, usually I've read about customization in apps and operating systems, but what if you were the subject of the, of the customization? Which, that's why, like, it, 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 it touches that part of my brain that I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm super into this. Let's talk about it. Let's follow this story. Um, as, a, as, a, as an RPG person myself, I kind of love all the menus and sub-menus and comparing stats and dropping your inventory, like all those things. Like I think this is particularly difficult for me because I am playing on a Steam Deck, right? Yes. So it's a yes. lot of menu for not it's, a big screen, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it definitely helps on a big screen, I think. Uh -huh. But in this game, what I think CD Projekt Red they've done so well is make it, make it feel good, make it feel nice when you get a, an upgrade. Whether you can you have more stamina or you get a new gun that's more powerful, like you can tell that you got more yeah. powerful, and you can see the difference, and it feels so good. Yeah, like I have this pistol now that, like, yeah. as long as someone is in this box that it draws, the sh the shot yeah. will hit them. Yeah. And it's like that's nice to have. Yeah. Yeah, it, it feels very it feels very nice like the combat. Um there are some enemies that they move a little erratically like you said I think those are the enemies that have caught uh, what's it called psychosis when you when, when they go yeah. when when they lose yeah. their minds because they modified themselves too much basically. And they're basically like jumping through space yeah. and time. Yeah. They're, but they're like <laughs> bosses. But I, 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 for me it was just I was really struggling with this one gang that I was just was running into. And the and the problem was I think they were too powerful for me, but the game just kept dropping me into that area when I came back to life. So I couldn't get away from the fight. So I just spent like half an hour until I got until I did it. But you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think I, I got there too quickly. Yeah. Really. There, there's something that I want that I want to mention about this game because um I've been playing, uh, you know, in, in on the new TV in my living room, sitting on the couch, gaming PC behind the TV. Feels and looks amazing, but I've also played this game on the Steam Deck, right? When I don't mm -hmm. want to go to the living room at night, I just want to play for thirty minutes in bed, or maybe I'm not home and I want to play on the go. And being able to continue a PC game on the Steam Deck has only reinforced for me the quality of this idea of the Steam ecosystem and PC gaming sort of following you around. And it made me think, we were on, just a few minutes ago, we were talking about Stadia, and I, and I asked Shahid, 
if you were in charge of Stadia today, how would you save it? How would you try to sort of course correct Stadia? And I, <laughs> I hate to bring this up, but playing the Steam Deck, it really reinforced for me how unfortunate it was that Sony, in a way, was kind of early with the PS Vita. Because I think it's so funny that right now, the, like in the past year especially, and it's only going to, you know, I think it's only going to increase going forward, that there has really been, we are living right now a renaissance of handheld gaming. Um of all shapes and forms, right? Of course, the Switch started this, uh, but you can see it in, you know, with, with more boutique products like the Playdate or, you know, the avalanche of these uh, PC handhelds like the, the GPD Win or the A&EO and the all the dozens of models A &E they have. units yes. that they ship a and, week. And, and the Steam Deck. And I'm looking at all of this and I'm like, man, imagine if the PS Vita was around today with this mindset of it's not about bringing sort of unique Vita versions of the games you already know to the portable console, but like uh, this idea of continuing what you started at home, which is really two sides of the same coin when you consider the Switch. The Switch, of course, is one console that you can dock and remove. And these new devices are different. They're more like, what if you could continue the same game with, of course, different levels of performance on a handheld? But that's the idea. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, man, it's it's a bummer. that In, in, in many ways, the Vita was very early to all of this. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry for bringing up your baby, Shahid. But that's uh, true. It it wasn't my baby. I was um, I was just became, the, the nurse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just took care of her for a while. I mean, yeah. Yeah. it is a shame. I mean, I think that the Steam Deck is is definitely changing conversations up and down gaming. Right? Like this thing has been such a success. I'm not saying I don't ex necessarily expect Sony to have a handheld gaming system again. But I have no doubt they're talking about it again in a way that they wouldn't have they wouldn't have before, right? Like they're bringing their PC games to Steam Deck essentially, right? By putting them on Steam, like it's a thing. Their games can run on this hardware. Could they not consider making some kind of hardware now as well? Like Valve have done it. Like they have done it. Yeah, they have brought the Switch experience to PC gaming. It's the same game runs everywhere. Like and it really works. So I have no doubt that it's being spoken about again. Do I think they'll do anything? Probably not. But I, mean, I have no doubt that the the, the conversation's changed. If the PSP comes back, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna lose it on this podcast. I just I imagine that because like the situation is so different compared to a few years ago. Obviously, um, uh, mobile um, systems on a chip have evolved dramatically over the past few years. Uh, cloud gaming is also a real possibility. Uh, emulation, uh, you, you look at all these PC handouts, you look at the Steam Deck, uh, the, the emulation story, if you want to play an old game, is so radically different from a mm -hmm. few years ago. Now you can emulate PlayStation 3, no problem. You just put it on the Steam Deck and you play PS3 games. That's a pretty complex architecture. You just get a PS3 emulator and you play games at 60 frames per second. There's a Switch emulator. And I mean, like, that whole scene has gotten really wild over the past year. But just broadly speaking, 
the kind of progress, to, uh, like technological advancements that we have seen in terms of raw performance on a portable device in the past two years, incredible to see. And I really do hope that Sony internally, I really hope they're having this conversation when they're like, well, what if we brought it back and we try it again? <laughs> 